Welcome to the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast, where we invite you to pursue God, engage in community, and make a difference. Good morning, my name is Jeff. I'm part of the teaching team here at Rainier View, and we are beginning a brand new series, um, and we're really looking at all summer long the character that we need to navigate a polarized world. Because let's be real, all of us are pretty tired of so much polarization and divisiveness in our world, and yet often we don't know what to do about it. And so we're going to be looking at the character that is required to not solve every problem, but to help ourselves be able to navigate that so much better. Um, because again, we're, we're exhausted of all of the debates and the division that even we experience within our own families, uh, with our friend groups, in our, in our workplaces with coworkers, right? It's just a landmine of things to avoid all the time. And really, our world doesn't have any solutions. Uh, collectively, we're seemingly unable to have meaningful, respectful conversations with those with whom we disagree. Uh, and really, the, the world doesn't have an option. There's not a voice that we can trust that will, will point us to how we can do this better and how we can navigate this better. Um, really, what the world encourages us to to do is to, again, uh, criticize those who are different than us, uh, to say, hey, they're ignorant, um, at, at minimum, at least, they're grossly misled, sheeple, right? Uh, and at worst, to just completely uh, rip and tear down those who have a different uh, viewpoint or opinion of us. And so the options that our world has given us have driven a wedge between us and increasingly we're, we're fractioned, we're in groups, we're more tribal. It seems more difficult to connect with those who are different than us and unlike us uh, in so many ways. And so, um, yeah, what do we do about that? Uh, because our world is desperate for some different option. I, we all collectively sense, man, we want a way to navigate this polarization better. You know, Abraham Lincoln uh, paraphrased Jesus when he described uh, the state of the Union uh, of, the, of the United States in his time uh, in, his fame, in a famous speech where he talked about a house divided against itself cannot stand. But those are actually the words of Jesus originally. And so we need that kind of wisdom, that kind of character to navigate the times that we're in today. Uh, and so if you are a follower of Jesus and you're joining us, I mean, you are called to live out a different kind of character, a different kind of way of life than the world around you. If you're joining us today and you're still just exploring faith and, and figuring out what that looks like and what that means for you, um, I would just invite you to consider what's the wisdom that you might gain from examining the, the passage out of the Bible that we're going to look at and these, the, the character we're going to look at? What's some strength that you might be able to draw from to, again, better navigate a polarized world? Not that we're going to solve all the problems, not that we're going to negate every issue, but that we're going to be able to navigate uh, the reality of our world in a better way. Because here's the reality. For those of us who walk in the way of Jesus, we claim to be followers of Jesus, this is the kind of character that in Galatians 5 we're going to be looking at, and it, and it describes uh, what, how we're supposed to live as people who are marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let those sink in. This is the kind of character that's not optional 
for followers of Jesus. And unfortunately, we've bought into the narratives of the world around us that we don't need to pay attention to that character, that it's okay to have character that's counter to that. And so we've got to get back to having these character qualities be part of our inner lives so that they work their way outward in our words and our actions. Uh, and I think there's a couple reasons for this. One, just the reality is that we listen to the voices of the world more than we do listen to the voice of Jesus so often, okay? If we spend hours and hours a day uh, taking in angry commentary from, from the news channels or the news snippets that we watch, that's going to affect the way we act. And for far too many Christians, what has happened is we've put a political party ideology above the great commandment that Jesus gives us. And we need to flip that if that's the case. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is to be the chief value. This is to be the chief virtue that is over all else in our lives. And we've got that disordered so often, uh, and both right and left. And so we've got to learn to recenter what is most foundational, what's most important, and allow that quality to be the one that calls the shots, okay? Uh, and we got to get back to, like I said, uh, viewing this fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at in this Galatians 5 passage as essential work. Far too often, we just don't view it as something that we ought to be doing each and every day. Uh, and so you can have the strength to build a bridge uh, to others. You can have an ability to navigate the polarization that we all are experiencing in a better way as we take a look at these, at, at these character qualities. And so we're going to begin uh, in Galatians, again, Galatians 5, and we're going to be moving through uh, this passage beginning in verse 13 and working our way down to what is famously known as the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, uh, And so we're going to be getting with the chief value, the chief uh, character quality of love. Okay, Now, love is a value. Love is a character quality that we, we throw around the word to describe so many things that often it doesn't have a lot of concrete meaning to us. Right? I can say, I love my wife. I use the same word to say, I love ice cream. Uh, the word can be used to say, I love the off-season moves that the Seattle Seahawks have made. That last one only applies to the handful of Denver Broncos fans around, so uh, Mark, you're welcome. But, uh, right, we use this word in so many ways, and I think we have a simplistic view of it, right? As the Beatles sang, right, all you need is love, 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 love is all you need, right? But is it as simple as that? And I think we have to understand the difference between love as a simple concept and value to, to, to grasp and to build into our lives, but not viewing it as something that is simplistic. It has, it has contours, it has depth, it has challenge to the way we live. Uh, and so as we begin this series, what we need to know is that Jesus redefines love. You know, in the ancient world, the conception of the gods, the, the idea of God being love was completely foreign. That was not an idea. The idea of God as love is a uniquely Christian value and idea. The ancient gods uh, were gods who were seen as harsh, uh, who were seen as unapproachable, uh, as something, a force to appease, to make sure that something bad didn't happen to you. And even in the Jewish scriptures, in what we call the Old Testament, uh, that we read of God's covenant love. And so the, the, the God of the Old Testament is different than the other gods in that time. But yet, the love of God hadn't been seen. 
it hadn't been put on display yet of how we could see what that love looked like. And in Jesus, everything changes. Because the, the Gospels tell us this, this story of Jesus coming to us, that somehow God wraps himself in humanity so he can come to our level and truly be with us. And so we have a living, breathing example of the love of God. And as amazing and as powerful as that example is, it's not all. Jesus didn't come just to give us an example of God's love. He came in order to die on a Roman cross in, in, our, in the place of our sins, okay? Sin being the things that separate us from God. And Jesus said, I want to I remove that barrier. I want to take that penalty of sin so that you, you and I can truly be with God together. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus doesn't just die on a Roman cross, but the Gospels tell us that three days later, he experiences resurrection. He defeats death. And this is a promise. This is a foretaste of the hope that we have, that death is not the end of our story, that we have a hope for a future with God and with others in heaven one day. And this is the gospel story. This is the gospel account. And so this is what Romans tells us about that beautiful, wonderful reality of what Jesus accomplishes. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, we read this. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this faith in Jesus was never meant to be merely an intellectual decision. Like, understand the ABCs of salvation, check, 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 get your ticket to heaven, and then you can go on and just keep living your life however you want. It is never the conception of faith that we read about in the gospel accounts. It's not what Jesus invites us into. No, faith in Jesus is all about God beginning a process, extending an invitation to you and I, to change, to ongoing transformation in our lives. Consider the verse right before this in Romans 5 that I just read. Romans 5, 5, we read this. It says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so how can I understand the love of God that's been displayed to me in the work of Jesus, and how can I more fully embrace the quality, the character quality of love in my life? And so we need to understand something about love and how Jesus redefines it. The world tells us that love is a feeling. Faith tells us that love is a commitment. The world around us tells us that love is a feeling, and feelings are fickle, and feelings are tricky, if we base love on that, we're going to be in trouble. But if we base it upon how Jesus defines it, that love is a commitment to sacrifice for the good of others, that is going to help us change how we interact with the world. That is going to make a difference on interacting with an increasingly polarized world around us. Uh, and so there's no other conception of the love of God that is so tangible, so real, so beautiful, and will help us again, understand what really, truly loving in our lives looks like. 
And so we want you to build on this character quality, this value of love, and this be the one that all the others stack on. And if this is the orientation through which we live our lives, we're going to have different interactions, different postures, uh, different ways we treat one another. And so um, we're going to begin by jumping in now finally uh, to Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13, by seeing really what happens when we just kind of go with our feelings and go with what we want to do, and so often it leads us into, into relational conflict and, and self-fulfilling activity that just is harmful. And so we're going to see what happens there, and then we're going to contrast what true character that God wants us to embrace looks like and how we can implement that. So uh, beginning in verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Pause for a minute there. Let that sink in the, the profound meaning of that verse. The entire law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means that every command we read in here, every story that's confusing to us that doesn't make sense, every, every book of the Bible that just leaves us kind of scratching our head and we don't know what to make of it, that the, the way we interpret all of it, the lens we read the word of God through or read our Bibles through is through this lens of loving our neighbor as ourself. This is it. This is what Galatians uh, uh, verse four, uh, chapter 5, verse 14 says, it puts it there in, in clear, unmistakable terms. Uh, Andy Stanley, in his book Irresistible, which kind of uh, looks at the inception of the church and the, the early church is this uh, just irresistible force for good in its world and how we can recapture some of that, uh, he has a question that goes along with this that I found to be immensely helpful for myself. Okay, what does it mean for me to love my neighbor uh, as myself. What does that actually look like? And he has a question that he asks, and I think it, it will be challenging for you as it has been for me. The question is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? That, again, gets at the essence of this character quality of love. That's a simple question, yet that is an incredibly challenging question. That's a hard one for us to answer sometimes because of what it might ask me to do and require of me to do. And so this brings us back to living out this, this quality, living out this Jesus-informed quality of love in our life. That again, the world says, just pay attention to your feelings and do whatever those say. But Jesus says, no, if you're really going to love others, it's going to look like a commitment to sacrifice for the good of another without expecting anything in return. And so what, what is the danger of just leaning exclusively into feelings and allowing uh, that to drive how I define what love is? Uh, the passage goes on to kind of describe this tension within us. Galatians uh, 5 verse 15 says, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
And so this passage there, it's really talking about the desires within us. And we all get this. We all have this battle and this, this tug and pull of like doing what we know we ought to, but then not wanting to or con- being confused about, well, what is really good and what, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? We all face that, okay? And so desires are, are linked, connected to our emotions and our feelings, okay? And now even, even desires and feelings that we sometimes can feel are negative can be good, Sadness, grief can be good if we process it uh, well. But if our experience and our emotions are leading us away from these character qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these kinds of things, if they're leading us away from that, we're moving away, we're drifting away from love. We're not living out of that. Uh, And so we, we have to pay attention to our feelings can lead us away from the good and healthy character that God wants us to experience and live out of. And so again, what does that look like? If we just kind of give full vent to just kind of allowing like, okay, I'm just going to use my feelings to figure out what it looks like to love. Um, First of all, I think that this is kind of an unspoken thing that we don't talk a lot about, but I think there's a, there's a burden, there's a weight that we were never meant to carry to come up with our own value system. There's something uh, just beautiful about being able to know by being in our Bibles regularly what good character looks like, what the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live out of. We can know what it looks like. It it lists it here. And so we're going to begin by kind of looking at, again, the the anti-fruit of the Spirit and some of the ways that we can drift into some behaviors uh, that are kind of the opposite uh, of the fruit of the Spirit if we aren't careful of where our feelings, where our desires are leading us. And so in uh, verse 19, we'll pick it back up. It says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, reading that list seems pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, we don't, we don't want really that first list. We want the second list. So what's, what's there more to talk about? Why don't we just do right, the, the thing that we want and we, and we get caught in the cycle? Um, and so to kind of help you out with this, um, again, this is a lifelong process of moving away from these self focused uh, actions that come from orientation that just says, well, I'm going to do whatever I want, and learning to live out of a commitment to the good of others, that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. But, like, how do we make sense of that line there where it says, well, like, hey, be careful. If you do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And so we can be a little panicked. We can be a little confused. Like, well, I thought salvation was a free gift, and so how, how does the way I live fit into that? Uh, And so here's how Christians, in particular sometimes pastors, can get this a little twisted. Uh, We can use guilt as a motivator here rather than than understanding how this works correctly, okay? What happens is that often we think that the, the fruit of my life, that needs to look exactly the same in everybody else's life, okay? And here's the reality. Like, 
God has different expectations for each of us. Jesus himself said, uh, to, to whom much has been given, much will be expected. And so God has different expectations for each and every one of us. We're on a different path, all of us. We're on, a, on different places on our journey. Uh, and so, again, we have, we have a responsibility to grow into uh, different, different levels of growth, development, fruit, if you will, in the different seasons of our life. But here's what's universal. Here's what's true for all of us, that there needs to be some fruit. Just because the, the fruit of what God's doing in my life, it's not going to look the same in your life. There is going to be some change. If we really understand the good news of Jesus, it is going to transform our character. It is going to transform our life. And if we're not growing in any of these character qualities, if there's no increase in love, there's no increase in joy, there's no increase in peace or patience or kindness or gentleness or self-control over time, okay, if, if, if none of that's happening, then the question you need to ask yourself is, have I misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus? Because like I said, if we understand the love of God that has been revealed to us, and that's where we put our faith and our hope in what Jesus has already accomplished for us, and understanding the love of God in that way, that is going to change our character. And if there is no character change, the question you need to ask yourself this morning, today, is this. Have I misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus? Uh, and so, again, some of us might be panicking. We're like, well, but how do I know if there's enough fruit? And I'm not sure. And, and you might be worried about, like, am I, am I going to end up in heaven? And, and how do I make sense of this? Slow down. If you are concerned about how much fruit you will, if you will, is growing in your life, how much God is, is changing and shaping your life, if you're concerned about the level of that, that's actually an evidence of true faith. The person who doesn't have faith often looks like somebody who is rude uh, and self-centered and abrasive and never thinks these kind of thoughts, is just completely self-absorbed and, and unaware. That, that's the person who's living out of that first set of qualities, those negative qualities we looked at. And, and God isn't part of the equation. Faith isn't part of the equation, okay? And so if you're in a spot where you're like, oh, I'm not sure, that's actually an evidence of faith being present and real in your life. Uh, and so look with me real quick. I want to look again at verse 23, the very, the very end there, um, where it says, against such things, there is no law. This is such a freeing statement. It has been so freeing to me, and it's my hope that it's so freeing to you, Okay. Um, because here's the thing, one of the questions that I've received uh, most often as a pastor, besides, why don't you sing the songs that I want on Sunday mornings, uh, is how do I know what God wants me to do? Like, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Should I take this job or not? Should I go to this school or not? Should I date this person or not? Should I buy the red car or the blue car? Like what, you know, on and on and on the list goes, we struggle with this. And so here's the thing, what I want you to know uh, as a pastor to understand God's will and, and discerning that better in your life. After you've used the God-given wisdom that God's given you, after you've prayed about it, after you've been in community and discussing it with others, and you're still not certain, what I love is that if your decision is going to lead to more love or more joy or more peace or more self-control, God's given you the freedom to pursue that, Okay. I'll give you a little secret uh, hack that I use, and maybe it's a prayer that I should pray less often. But when I'm at a crossroads, I'm not sure what to do. I will often pray a prayer like this. God, I'm going to try and go through that door 
if I'm not supposed to, make it abundantly clear that it is locked, okay? Because why? There's so much freedom in this one little verse. Against such things, there is no law. We have incredible freedom to pursue, uh, to pursue the kind of life and the decisions that we're being invited to. And so we can step into those. And so let me give you an example uh, recently of how I had to answer the question, what does love require of me? And discern this, like, does God want me to do this or not? Um, so if you were with us in, in May, the beginning of May, we had uh, Wallace and Mary Kamau, uh, founders of Missions of Hope International, which we've supported as a church for about 15 years. And they uh, are doing some amazing work serving, uh, serving populations of extreme urban and rural poverty in Kenya. And so they were here, and we just happened to be able to have them with us uh, for a weekend, but we already had other things planned, and we couldn't uh, kind of change course on those. And so all we could do was give them a couple minutes, uh, pray for them, and have some time afterwards to interact in lobbies. And, and, but we did, the following day, recorded a, a long uh, podcast with them just for all of us at Rainier View to, to learn more, to hear more about their heart for ministry and the amazing things that are happening uh, in Kenya through their ministry. And so what happened after that, and we were talking like, yeah, we're going to do a child sponsorship event for Mohi coming up in July, and we're, we're super grateful. The next day, so that was a Monday, the next day on Tuesday, is the beginning of May, uh, Mary emails and says, I would really like a couple of your staff members, or at least one of them, to come over and see what we are doing in Kenya prior to your child dedication uh, or your child sponsorship event. Uh, and so, how about June 1? <laughs> and so, that is less than one month out to figure out how to go from, you know, zero to flying to Kenya in a month. But behind the scenes, we had been, as a staff, as a leadership team, really asking ourselves the question, what does love require of us? How do we invest in serving those outside of ourselves? How do we make a bigger impact in the, in the spaces and places where we believe that God has given us a unique opportunity to do so? And so we have this come up. And so uh, I happen to be the staff member with a current passport and the availability to go. And so I say, all right, yeah, let's, let's do this. We need to lean into our relationship um, with Mary and Wallace and with Mohi. We need to be present. Uh, we need to take them up on their invitation and their hospitality. And so I say, I'm going to go. And the great thing about right, confirming, is this God's will or not? Because here's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm kind of doing the best I can, but I know what? Against these things, there is no law. I have the freedom to step into it. But it's confirmed a couple days later when uh, Warren Miller, head of our elder board, in the middle of the night wakes up and realizes, you know what? I, I can go with Jeff. Uh, and so I'm going to arrange things. I'm going to make it happen where I can go. He had been prior. It's been about 10 years for him. And so we go ahead and, and we leave. Uh, and so Again, how do we know that this is what we're supposed to do, right? We don't, but we take steps forward and we live out of the freedom that God is leading rather than worrying about uh, whether or not it should happen. And so let me tell you, it was an amazing time to be there. It was amazing to see the scope of work and ministry. And we have so many stories to share uh, with you and so many just amazing opportunities that we have to step in and partner and build upon what we've been doing with them for the past 15 years. But the, the thing far and away that I'm taking away from this is that Mary and Wallace have reminded me, have given me a living example of what love looks like. 
what it, what it means and what it looks like to be committed to the good of others, to sacrifice for the good of others without any expectation of anything in return. Uh, and so Missions of Hope started uh, with uh, really a trip that Mary took to the Mathari Valley at that time in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, and still today, one of the worst urban uh, slums on the planet, one of the highest rates and concentration of urban poverty in the world. But see, Mary had grown up in a rural setting, in some rural po poverty, um, to a polygamous family. Uh, her father had uh, two, two wives, and she was one of, of many children, and she grew up just wondering why God would allow her to have such a difficult life and so, so many challenges. But she was able to get an education. She was able to go to college. And it was when she was in college that she came to faith in Jesus. And her pastor uh, took her on a trip one weekend, one Saturday, to the Mathari Valley to just, uh, to just serve the poor, really. And her heart was broken, it was captured, and she looked around and she said, why isn't anyone doing something more? And she didn't know what to do, but she knew she needed to do something. And so she got a bag of rice, and she went to one, one family's house, one woman's house, and she, and she said, I, I brought you food. And what happened next, I believe, changed her life and changed the trajectory of the ministry that she was going to start, because that woman invited her in. They sat down, and she cooked the rice, and they shared this meal together. And then what was left over, she puts out on the step, and children flock uh, to, to eat what was, what was left out. And Mary made the decision, and she said, I will be back next weekend. And she made a commitment to show up again and again and again. And that led to, to her and her husband Wallace uh, processing, what are we going to do? We have to do something. And, you know, Wallace was on track uh, for the career in finance and banking. They were going to have a life that didn't have anything to do with this, this in, in our vantage point, ugliness of the world and such a difficult problem. And what could they do? But they began a hope center. They began by sponsoring a small group of children and beginning a small, simple school. They floated this on the back of Wallace's salary at first. They stepped out in faith, but they were committed to do good, to show up uh, consistently in the lives of people. And without that commitment, that is what love is. Without that, Missions of Hope International would not be doing the work that they are today, where in Kenya they have over 30 school sites with over 25,000 sponsored students and children. They have social workers that go into to the homes and assess the needs of, of the family and try and equip family members with skills so that they can begin to earn a living wage for themselves, that true hope is there. Uh, there's a skills training center, apart from, again, being able to be not only in primary school, but to go on to high school and a boarding school and get a level of education that is on par with the top schools in, uh, in Kenya uh, to go on to be able to, again, get a skill or go on to college. There's microfinance, so there's the ability for people to, again, receive the ability to have true hope to move on from these situations of extreme poverty, whether it's urban or whether it's rural. And man, all of this, the reason I share this is because it's such a living example of being committed to the good of others, right? Because love was not a 
feeling for Mary and Wallace, right? The feelings didn't make sense most, most often, I'm sure, starting out. This doesn't make sense. How are we going to live? Why, what are we doing? We don't know how to do this, right? But instead, knowing the love of God that's been displayed by Jesus, they're making an incredible impact, and we're excited to, uh, to partner in a greater way with them. In fact, um, if you're able to join us live on Jill, uh, July 24th at our Graham campus or at our Parkland campus on July 31st, we're going to be having an, uh, an amazing morning hearing in depth about what God is doing uh, through MOHI, Missions of Hope International, and what we can do to partner and make a difference there. If you can't join us, we're, we'll also at our online service be, be speaking of the ways that you can step into that. But if you can join us live, mark your calendar for that. It's going to be an amazing time. We're going we're gonna to be able to hear from Mary, hear her heart, uh, and you will not want to miss it. But today, how do we answer the question of what does love require of me? What relationship do you need to build a bridge to? What's a need that you need to step into? And don't, and don't think primarily financial. Like, how do you need to show up with kindness? How do you need to show up with presence? How do you need to show up with an encouraging word uh, in somebody else's life? Again, as, as God leads, and as you step into things, just remember, Whatever looks like pursuing the fruit of the Spirit, these qualities that God wants, whatever increases that, against such thing, there is no law. Step in with freedom and with boldness into whatever it looks like for you this week to begin to answer the question, what does love require of me? And so we are looking forward to this summer as we continue with this series to see how God continually changes and transforms our hearts and our minds as we learn to, again, have the character that's going to allow us to navigate a polarized world. Look forward to having you back next week. Thanks for joining the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified for all future episodes. Be sure to connect with us on socials at Rainier View CC and find out more about us at rainierview.org.